And I just want you to imagine the amount of humiliation that I had for existing at this particular moment when the usher told me that I needed to sit eight rows behind the family at the request of the family, namely my stepmother, um, because of the shame that I represented to the family. I wonder what you mean when you use the word I. Use the word I. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Mitch Wallace, and we're going to be sharing another story today with Sean Mitchell. Sean is an amazing dude. He lives in Seattle in the USA. I lived there briefly for a couple of years when I lived for Microsoft. And he really tells a story of self-worth and uh, his struggle with self-worth. From an early age, he felt like he was a mistake that he wasn't supposed to be here. And to use his words from the interview, he felt like he was taking up someone else's oxygen. And that's a pretty heavy mindset to have while you're growing up. And it's taken him until his adult years to really help transform and shift that dynamic that he had with himself um, as a result of the relationship he had with his father, the struggles he's had being a black man growing up um, in the US and many other things. It really touched me and I would encourage you to listen till the end because around three quarters of the way through the episode, I think there's a really cathartic and insightful moment between him and I where ironically he, I think, really starts to let in more and more of his own self-worth. And uh, I felt very grateful to host and hold that space with him um, and, uh, and allow him to see the reflection um, more clearly of how much value he's already given to the world and um, the work he'll continue to do. There are some mild um, to moderate uh, trigger warnings around suicide. We discussed his friends um, uh, taking his own life and also um, his thoughts on his own life sustainability. So if that is triggering for you at the moment and you're not in a great place, maybe listen to the episode when you're feeling more comfortable or go slowly through it, taking breaks or listen to it with a friend. But as always, go slow, go strong, one moment at a time, one day at a time. We're all on the journey. Introducing Sean. And so tell me where you are right now, man. I'm in Seattle. You, my old home. Seattle, Washington. So Represent. Capitol Hill? Um, You know what? I'm not too far away from Capitol Hill, but I uh, actually was born and raised a little bit north of Capitol Hill. So I was grew up in this area called Northgate. Yeah, I'm one yeah. of the only like people that I'm aware of left that originated here in Seattle. Like everyone else is just like, wait, you're actually from here? Like, True that, bro. 
<laughs> you know, I lived there for two years, right? No way. Is that how yeah. you met Mark? Yes, sir. No way. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Seattle was home for me for, um, yeah, during the formative years of my mid-20s. I've seen all the goods and all the bads. I had like my massive mental breakdown when I was there um, and came home, but it has held and ushered me into a whole new phase of my life. So I've got mad love for the Pacific Northwest. Absolutely. Yeah. It revealed a little something in you, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. And so, so as you said, you're, you're one of the, the native Washington people who don't move out. What's it like being surrounded by Amazon and Microsoft and Boeing and well, I'm pretty used to it, right? So, I mean, Microsoft growing up, um, like that's always been a huge part of just the the DNA of our city. And then um, Boeing, obviously, I think it's been around for years, but with some of the newer entrants like Facebook and Google and Expedia, and I mean, they're, it's getting more and more dense. So mm. traffic is getting heavier and heavier. Um, property values are going up, which is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a lot of the culture, like the original culture that I'm used to here in Seattle, it just, you know, from area to area, it's starting to diminish. So, mm. I mean, I'm excited to, you know, venture into this new era of like what it means to be a Seattleite, but mm. still I miss some of the nostalgic um you know, elements that I, that I'm, you know, really acquainted with. No but doubt, bro. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, before we jump into it, what brought you to Seattle? What were you doing here? I, I was, um, I got a transfer to, to Microsoft. Um, oh, shoot. Well, yeah, I was, I was at Microsoft in Australia and then uh, got a transfer over in a global role um as a product manager for surface so picked up my bags moved overseas started a new life wow okay yeah. and did you meet mark in microsoft or you guys just kind of were acquainted with some of the same people yeah bit of both uh we were hanging out with the same circle of friends so okay okay um yeah him and i him and i got along really well i got a lot of respect for him he's a great dude yeah you know what, to be honest with you, like Mitch, I've, I've just, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit excited right now because, um, you know, when I look at everything that you're doing with heart on my sleeve, um, like I can't help but admire and even look up to it, you know? Um, and when I hear the way that you speak to people who are experiencing anxiety or have experienced certain traumas, you do it with such a tact, elegance, and um, awareness. And I'm just like almost studying the way that you're able to do that because we all have friends that we, we have like conversations with. And, you know, I desire to help people navigate some of their challenges much of the same way that you do. I mean, maybe the audience might be a little bit different, but I just want to say thank you for being such an inspiration. No, oh, thank you, brother. It's very, very kind of you. Um, I yeah, I hold that with with huge amounts of gratitude. Um, it is it is an honor to show up for people's stories. I didn't think I'd ever get this opportunity, and now that I do, I 
I'll do it forever, every waking minute that I can. And yeah. I'm excited to share yours today, man. And, you know, you asked before, before we get into it, bro, we're into it. This is just a casual conversation. We're already rolling. So, oh, really? Yeah, man. No, like, <laughs> I, I don't want to interview you. Um, I'm not here to just like fire questions at you. I just want to have a chat and find out about your life. Yeah. You know what? I appreciate that. And, you know, depending on how this goes, hopefully we can stay in contact with each other, man. So, um, totally. yeah. I mean, so, I mean, just to kind of, you know, jump into a little bit, um, I mean, do you want me to just kind of share some of my story and how a lot of this got started? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so born and raised Seattle, Washington, um, North Seattle. So I grew up being the only, as my mom would say, the only fly in the buttermilk. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, um, but you know, she's, it's, it's all I've ever really known. And I remember even getting teased by some of my family members who grew up in, the central area and the Rainier Beach area. And they're like, man, Sean, why do you talk like a white boy? <laughs> and wow. it, it's, it's funny because, you know, when you look at things culturally, right? I mean, you have um, just certain, certain ways of communicating and navigating and expressing. And because I wasn't really exposed to the culture, like, um, I wanted to be, I felt like there was a lot that I was missing out on in terms of what it really meant to be black. And I think that that's something that we all experience, but I'll just talk about my experience. I think that that was something that I really struggled with. It's like, man, who am I? Who am mm. I? What does it mean to be me? And then, you know, we kind of reach for different clues and different cues to suggest oh, you know what, because I look like this, then I must be that. And when you grow up and, you know, you kind of look um, like the villain in the movie or the person that, you know, got away with something and, you know, you just kind of feel like, man, maybe, maybe I'm not as special as other people who look different from me because what's being portrayed to me about me and people who look like me in the media is very unhealthy. And I didn't think that I was that, but I don't really have another example. And the reason why I say I didn't feel like I had another example was because my mom, she, she raised me, you know, up until I was about, you know, six or no, actually, no, up until I was eight years old, that's when my stepfather was introduced into my life. Um, but I'm so thankful for my mom. I actually used to ask her, mom, mom, will you marry me? <laughs> She's like, no, Sean, it doesn't work like that. I was like, but you're the best. I don't want to be with any other girls at school. Like, yeah. you're just awesome, you know? Um, so and I, I remember she, every night, you know, she would sit down with me and <clears throat> I, she would tuck me in for bed. And at the time, I didn't know that she was quoting Martin Luther King, but she would say to me, she would say, Sean, you know what? You can do anything. There is nothing that you cannot do. You are special. And whatever you do, though, make sure that you're the best. If you're going to be a doctor, 
Sean, be the best doctor. If you're going to be a teacher, be the best teacher. And if you're going to be a street sweeper, you better sweep those streets so good mm. that people who walk those streets say, whoever came here before we did was the best street sweeper that, that ever lived. You know, like that kind of thing. And she would, she would joke around with that. And um, every night she would just, you know, before I would go to bed, I didn't really get it then, but what she was doing is she was fueling my confidence. Um, but one night, one night in particular, um, I remember this was when I was about six years old. Um, she told me, she goes, listen, Sean, um, I love you. And if I don't tell you this now, when you're older, you are going to be confused and you're gonna be upset. And I wanna tell you this now so that you can grow into the understanding of who you are and how you came into this world. Now, Sean, the reason why I'm both mom and dad to you is because when you were born, um, or before you were born rather, your father already had a family. He already had a wife. And when he and I came together, um, the biggest blessing that ever could have happened was you. But he didn't, Sean, he didn't see it that way. And he was upset when I told him that I was gonna have you. And he decided that he was gonna forfeit all of his parental rights. And I fought for you. I fought for you to have your last name, the last name Mitchell. And I just want you to know that even though there might be other people that aren't agreeable to it, I want you to know that you have a purpose and I love you. Now, at that time, I didn't really get the gravity of what she was saying, but what I did understand was that I was an accident. I was an accident to someone and there was another parent that I wanted to be connected with, but gosh, he, he just maybe didn't know that I was worth loving. You know, maybe there was something that I can do to ingratiate myself into the family that I always wanted to have and meet my big brother and, and all that. And um, I felt like as an accident, I was a little bit worse than like a germ or bacteria because I felt like at least germs and bacteria have a purpose. And I just was trying to figure out what is it that, that I'm doing here? And I, I just want it, I want it to be meant to be. And it wasn't like this big um, idea, you know, that I had that was, you know, incredibly articulated in my mind. Um, you know, it wasn't this big philosophy that I was able to capture at like six or, you know, seven years old. But I do remember feeling like, the air that I was breathing was taking away from people that were actually supposed to be here. Wow. And I felt like anything good that happened to me was actually meant to happen to someone else. So that meant that if I'm less than bacteria, then I'm actually you know, bad for all the rest of the people that are actually supposed to be here because I'm an accident. And this is what, what, I, what, I, what, I, what I thought. And one day, I walk into 
the kitchen and I see the kitchen knives that are kind of in that wood little knife holder that I think every kitchen has. Mm. And I just remember, you know, seeing someone, you know, kind of transition, I'll say, by, you know, similar equipment in a movie. And I thought to myself, you know what? It would be so easy. It would be so easy to just end it right here. Now, keep in mind, Mitch, the craziest part to me about this is I didn't, I don't even think I was depressed. I thought that I was doing other people a favor, um, the world a favor by not being an accident anymore. And I figured if I were to just end things right there, then I wouldn't have to be a mistake. And uh, I, I looked at the knife and I knew that even though I wanted my heart to stop, I knew that if my heart stopped, it would break my mom's heart because the only thing that I knew was that she loved me. And I started thinking about like, um, as, I, as I got older, you know, like, what does it mean? What does it mean to, um, what is it, what does it mean, you know, for me to have a beginning that I don't like? I think every kid liked Michael Jordan, you know, Michael Jackson, all these other people. And I realized that some of the greatest people that I've ever looked up to, they came from places that weren't really the best. Maybe they didn't have the best family situation or they didn't come from the rich, you know, part of town, but they were able to write their own story. And so I had this idea, maybe I'm not able to write my beginning, but I can definitely write my ending. And I knew that like my dad didn't want me, but I just was thinking like, what would happen if I wanted me? And what if I can live a life that would make people glad that the accident happened, mm. right? Like, like, what would it look like if I turned my accident into purpose? And the reason why, um, you know, I, 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 you know, just, gosh, man, like, I just believe that there's people, Mitch, that like might be in the kitchen right now. And, you know, they're thinking about, ending, you know, this proverbial metaphoric, you know, kitchen. And they're wondering, you know what, maybe, maybe I should end it, you know? And they think, you know, like I did at seven years old, right? Six, seven years old, like, you know what? Like sometimes it, it like we have thoughts and I'm guilty of even, gosh, in a, in a really frustrated moment, thinking the same thing, like maybe it would be easier if I just disappeared. But I think that when we do that, we're trying to end the story that hasn't fully even begun yet. And that's why, you know, I'm thankful for, for you and I'm thankful for, for, the, for the heart on my sleeve movement, because I believe that, you know, you're here to tell people that not only you, do you care about them, not only do you have a heart for them and that you love them, every single person, but you're also here to let them know, listen, like, as long as our hearts are still beating, we can beat it together. Whatever it is that we're battling, 
we can beat it together because you're not the only one that's going through anxiety. You're not the only person that feels alone. You're not the only person that feels like giving up. And I think that this is a very serious conversation because if I thought about ending everything at seven years old, can you imagine what they would <laughs> say? Like, really, your son at seven years old just like hurt himself? You know, like just the story, but I don't think that, you know, we realize the depth of, of and the, the, the gravity of depression, of not understanding purpose. And I think that perhaps, and you, you, you're the, the clinical psychologist, but I wonder if, you know, a lack of understanding as it relates to our purpose and depression, I wonder if certain sides of depression and um, you know that lack of purpose, not knowing who we are or why we are or what we can be. I wonder if that is like a a foundation or the soil that depression breeds itself in. You mm. know, um, but I knew that this thing was serious when I was in high school because there was this this young lady. Um, and I remember, you know, she, she, she seemed like, you know, kind of like a skater. I was like a sophomore in high school. And I remember there was an announcement that was made over the intercom saying that Julie um, was no longer with us. And everyone who knew Julie, um, you know, if they wanted to uh, counseling, you know, and they, they needed help, um, but it was crazy because she had a smile on her face. I remember her smiling, but maybe that was just a mask, you know? And if I, I, I know, like when I listen to your podcast, um, Mitch, I noticed that there's a lot of conversation going on between you and the people that, um, you know, you're, 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 you're communicating with. But I just want to say, you know, one more thing before we, you know, if, in case like as we continue our conversation, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes I think about like, you know, going back and changing things like Mitch, like I went to a crazy depression recently because I made um, a $800,000 mistake in the, in the market. Um, what would be valued at at least $800,000 right now. And I was betting on the market going the wrong way. And I was just thinking, man, like that was, that was like early retirement right there. And I have to start my portfolio all over. Man, if I could just go back, I wouldn't have executed that trade. What was I thinking? Oh my <laughs> goodness. Like, oh, now I have to go back in this new job and whatever. And, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 regret, you know, that happens, maybe it's not like a stock trade for somebody else, but, you know, it could be the the decision that, that we made to, to not make that relationship work. And sometimes when I get into that place and I think, man, if I could just go back and change it, I would. I put everything in perspective because I remember my best friend in high school, his name was Corey. And I just remember he and I were in the same place. We both didn't know why, um, why our dads couldn't, couldn't dare to, to try, to try loving us, to, to be there. And we felt like we were, we were missing part of ourselves. And uh, when Corey was upset, Corey would, well, not really upset, but you know, we started going to parties and that kind of thing. And 
when Corey would drink, he would get very, very um, harmful to himself. Mm. Um, all the way to the point where he would, you know, try to jump out in front of a car and his friends are like pulling him back. Like, come on, Corey, what are you doing? The smartest guy, like I'm talking like honor roll student, just amazing. And I remember um, he and I, we decided that we wanted to do music and we started doing music together. And, you know, one day I get a phone call and it's uh, his mom. And his mom says, oh, actually, no, it wasn't his mom. It was our, our mutual friend, Teal. And Teal said, hey, Sean, did you, did you hear from Corey? Like, he was over at my house last night. He just came back from a party. And he decided that he wanted to go for a walk. And that was about, like, 11 o'clock. But we haven't heard back from him since. And at this point, Mitch, it's probably about 11 o'clock in the morning the next day. And I was like, no, I, I haven't heard from him. And, you know, I, I'll definitely keep an eye out. Corey, you know, like we didn't have cell phones. So we were just kind of waiting to, you know, find out what happened, you know. About, you know, two or three hours, you know, goes by. And I call his mom and I said, hey, Penny, um, this is Sean. I was just wondering what the status was with Corey. Teal called me and he told me that Corey was missing. And I hear not crying, but I hear wailing in the background, wailing. I mean, and I was thinking, oh, okay, somebody just fell and hurt themselves. And Penny says, Sean, Corey's gone. And I was like, no, Penny, I know, I know he's gone. Like, you know, we're looking for him, but like, where, where is he? Um, you know, did, did, did you guys find him? You know, do you need me to start looking for him in another place? Um, you know, maybe I could check the community center. And she goes, no, Sean, he's gone, Sean. And everything stopped. Everything stopped. And from that point forward, I had waged war on suicide, completely waged war against it. And the only thing that I would do if I could go back to this day, I would go back and I would be there for my friend. And I would tell him that his life is significant, is significant to me and is significant to other people, other people who don't even know him yet, that his life is a light. And if if there's any other Corys out there, you know, male or female, regardless of age, regardless of gender, she's, your light matters, you know? Like your light matters and maybe you don't see it yet, but don't put a period where life put a comma. And that's, I'm not saying that to be like something special, um, Mitch. I'm saying that because this is what I have to say to myself when I'm going through the go-through, you know? Amen. Um, there's there's no, no way to sum that up other than thank you for being so real and role modeling what it's like to be vulnerable and showing us all parts of you and for letting us into the deepest parts of your life. 
um, the high moments and the low moments. And I'm incredibly sorry for your loss of such a dear friend and for what you endured as a child, as a belief system. I know how erosive and burdensome it can feel to be constantly carrying around confusion um, and a lack of self-worth. Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm actually glad that those things happened. Um, mm. Not my friend though, not my friend. I'm still upset with, uh, with uh, suicide because of that. And I'm waging war against suicide. Everything I do, Mitch, is to help people see and live in their highest potential and, you know, to help people love themselves more. Um, maybe you might understand this, but, you know, I'm, I'm weird. And I actually, I feel some kind of way when I look at someone and I could see that they feel a little bit dejected. Mm -hmm. And I realize, man, like that's a world right there. That's a world that someone's living in. And before I get mad at someone for the way that they're reacting to me or responding or treating me, or maybe someone cuts me off on the freeway and then that <laughs> magical finger throws up, you know, that magic wand in the air. Um, I, I think, you know what, like, I know that I'm upset right now, but how upsetting would it be to live in the environment that they're in right now? Because I don't know what kind of environment they're in. But yeah. I do know that we all have a world that we're living in. And because I was able to experience that, I feel like it's given me a, a level of empathy, um, um, sympathy, and understanding. And um, I was speaking to um, Julia, and she said that the light shines through our broken places um, or the places that were broken. And I mean, it just, that hasn't left me. And I just, I'm thankful for the places that we get to break, that I break, that I broke, and that, I'm, that I will break in the future. Because I think that as long as I'm willing to keep going, the light is going to shine and it's going to shine through it, you know? Um, 100%. I think one of the, one of the, if there is such thing as a glue to the fractures in our life is love. Uh, and it sounds like your mom has been a binding glue to a lot of those fractures. Uh, Absolutely. What was it like for your mom to call you special as a young kid? Cause that's a pretty powerful word to hear. Okay. That's all I knew. Like I knew I was special, right? Like I know, I still know that I'm special because it was all she told me from the very beginning. And um, you know, to just kind of talk about things that, that motivate me. One time I told my mom and I didn't even realize I was giving her a compliment. I just thought I was giving her a news report. I said, hey mom, you know when the sun is like shining the highest and the brightest in the sky and there's no clouds and it's just like the sun and the earth? She goes, yeah. I go, you know what? Whenever I see that, I think of you because that's what you remind me of. She was like, oh, Sean, that's sweet. I was like, really? That's sweet? Like, I'm just telling you. And I, I just decided that the way that my mom loved me and the way that I love and have just, you know, just adore my mom, I want people to feel like that about me. And I imagine that people feel like that about you. I mean, you're, you're a light, you know, such a light. For me, I guess it was just identity because that's all she told me was you're special. You're born to do great things. So do great things. You know, I just, I was... Okay, can I go in? Can I go into one more thing? Yeah. 
I was just mad at my dad because he didn't know I was special. And I wanted to prove to him that I was special. I wanted to prove to him that I was special. And I just had this craving. He's going to love me. He's going to know that it's okay to love me. I know that I'm an accident to him, but I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it right. And my dad was a very, very noted, like, let's put it this way. Patty Murray, um, the, she's been a longtime senator for uh, Washington State. Like she and my father were very well-known acquaintances because he was very high up in, in government here in, in Washington. He actually was the one that brought in, the, the very first person to bring in um, the hybrid buses. So like, you'll see like the hybrid buses and all that. He was the first to implement that technology. And I always knew that he was a big wig to other people. And I just wanted him to, you know, see that I was, you know, something special to him too, because everyone else adored him. And I kind of adored him through what I heard. And one day I call his office and um, his receptionist answers the phone. And I'm like, hi, is, is Wendell there? And she, she says, um, no, he's away now, but can I ask who's calling? I go, oh, this is his son, Sean. And my dad reached back out to me. He said, Sean, if you wanna have a relationship with me, it's important that you never call my office. And I was thinking at this point, I'm probably like nine or something. I'm like, hold on, it doesn't work. Did he say if I wanted to have a relationship? Like that, mm. that's not how this works. Like you're my dad, I'm your son. This is our relationship. Like you can't take that away. I don't really understand where if comes from, you know? Yeah. And I, oh man, like I, I, let's just say I've realized a ton of success, you know, very early on. And the success that I, I'd had, I, I would, you know, have like these, you know, five figure paychecks. And I remember I would like, one day I thought, man, I could just light this thing on fire because I don't care about it. I just care about doing well next month so that I can have purpose. I felt like the only meaning I had was in success. So I had to be successful because it was my only identity. I felt like if I wasn't successful, then I was an accident and I had to be successful. This was an, an inherent belief. And the reason why I believe this, and I you know, understood this after you know, going deep into you know, some, some psychology books because I still felt this brokenness and I couldn't figure out how to fix it, Mitch. Um, I realized that I felt like I was an imposter. I felt like everything in my life, I was just an imposter. And the only way that I can get out of being an imposter was, was to have significance. So significance to me meant air, it meant oxygen. So I had to be successful. And I remember I was a manager for a Toyota store and I get a call from my dad and he says, um, Sean, um, he told me that he had this, this crazy disease called Lou Gehrig's. And he said, Sean, I, this is not to say that you won't be successful without it, but I believe with it, it'll affect the way that other people see you and the way that you see yourself. Sean, I want you to finish your degree. And I don't know where it came from, Mitch. It didn't make any sense because at the time I was doing songwriting, I was flying back and forth, working with some popular names in LA while I was also the sales manager and burning the candle on both ends. I just said, dad, I promise you I'm gonna finish the degree. And not too long thereafter, I get a call from my sister. Um, of course, like several weeks after, I get a call from my sister saying, Sean, dad's gone. Um, my biological sister, we probably would speak like maybe 
once a year. I probably have engaged her. We've, we've engaged each other maybe five times in my entire life, but she's awesome. And I remember at that moment when she told me that, you know, my dad had gone, everything stopped. And it felt like I had swallowed a boulder. I didn't understand what it was. I went to work like nothing happened. And it was hard for me to cry until one day I was sitting with a few of my staff members because I was serving in the local church um, as a youth um, youth pastor. And I was telling them, I was like, hey, listen, I have this hole inside of me and I'm trying to fill it, but it won't get filled. And I don't know what's wrong with me. And I told him, I said, listen, when my dad passed away, before he passed away, all I wanted to do was show him, dad, look, look at me, look at me, love me, dad, love me. Mm-hmm. And I said, you remember what it was like that time where someone hung up the phone on you and you were still trying to talk to him? Like you're still trying to communicate. You want to tell them something and then it's just click. And you're just like, so that's what I feel like my dad did when he died. He hung up before I could ever show him that I was, that I was worth him seeing, that I was worth him loving. Mitch, for the very first time, bro, brother, I ugly cried. Like I'm talking baby out the womb cried. Like I'm talking the snot, the everything, (laughs) even talking about it now, it it hits me. And to be honest with you, at times, I feel like I'm still dealing with that. I still, I feel like I'm still dealing with that. And I, I get angry at times because I'm like, oh gosh, man, like, (laughs) all the words that you could imagine in that. Yeah. Still, but I still love him. And what I did is I went back to school and I got my degree. And I honestly made way more money without my degree than with it, which kind of pisses me off a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I, I, you know, graduated from the Foster School of Business at the University of Washington. And um, I was given so many different offers while I was there, but I just believe that promises are meant to be kept. And, you know, um, Mitch, she's man. Um, I don't know why it is as a grown man, you know, the decision of, you know, someone, you know, that they, a decision that they made 30 years ago, you know, why that could still affect me. It just doesn't make any sense. But I think that it all circles back to identity. And, um, you know, the, the crazy part was that I didn't even tell you about was at my dad's funeral. And I just want you to imagine the amount of humiliation that I had for existing at this particular moment when the usher told me that I needed to sit eight rows behind the family at the request of the family, namely my stepmother, um, because of the shame that I represented to the family. Mm -hmm. So they are in the midst, fast forward, they're reading my father's obituary and they're talking about all the people in the family that he left behind, starting with his wife and then the children and then the aunt, then the, uh, the brothers, the sisters and all that. And my name was nowhere. It was like I never existed. But while they were reading, while they were reading my dad's obituary, this, this older lady she comes next to me and she sits down on the pew and she holds my hand. And after they mentioned all the people that my dad left behind, 
and my name was invisible, she just squeezed my hand. And at that moment, I realized that I wasn't invisible. And the squeeze meant everything to me at a moment that I just felt like I lost. Not only did I lose my dad, but I, lo I lost proving something to my dad. And I decided at that moment that that's, that's why I'm here. That's, that's all my life is. My life is meant to be the squeeze to help other people and to show other people, all the invisibles out there, that they're not invisible, that they have a purpose, that they have meaning, that they're not alone. And you know, the craziest part about this, the craziest part is that it was an older white lady. I am a young black male. And it didn't matter how polarized or how opposites we were. <clears throat> we were united in the squeeze. And I believe that we as a world would be better off if we are united in the squeeze, in the midst of the depression that, that we might feel, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of feeling like we're invisible, that someone else might squeeze us, our hand, our life, and let us know like, hey, you know what, I'm here. And that's why, um, and I'll, I'll just kind of end it right here. That's why I'm so proud, honored, thankful, and humble to be speaking with you, Mitch, because you are the squeeze, brother. Like you are the squeeze. What you're doing is the squeeze and you do it because it's important to you. And I just, I just, man, I'm, I'm gonna keep praying for you. I pray for you just massive, massive success that heart on my sleeve reaches millions and millions of people because you're vulnerable enough to put your heart on your sleeve so other people know that, that it's okay for them to reveal their hearts too. And, um, you know, that's, that's been my story up into this point, but I'm really excited to, to make something of it. You are brother. You are, um, every day, uh, just by living the way that you do and helping others know that they're not alone and being to use your word that, you know, the light and the darkness is, is everything. I mean, I had this belief that life isn't unfair it can't be evil enough that you just suffer for no reason. Like I just refuse to believe that. Um, yeah. So I was just like, I have to transmute my pain into meaning. I have to, like, there's yeah. just no option. Uh, yes. Otherwise I've just hurt and no one's going to benefit. And that can't be real. Even if it right. is real, refuse, refuse to accept it. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm doing now. And I think that, uh, you know, you've talked a lot about identity today and it sounds like you've built your awareness of where your, um, where your pain was coming from is like super commendable. Like you knew that it was everything that you were doing and trying to achieve was just you trying to get noticed by your father. Like that's incredible self-awareness. And I'm sure it makes it far easier than to be able to work with yourself and move past that because you're willing to understand the genesis of where all this stuff is kind of growing. Um, right. What I'd like to know, you know, when you're, I'm not sure which age it was, but you said, Hey, no one is going to believe in what well, uh, I don't, I feel like I'm an accident, but I'm going to feel like an accident that's worth keeping keeping around like a worthwhile accident. I think you used the term. 
Yeah, well, yeah, I wanted people to be glad that this accident happened. Yeah, yeah. So what allowed you to make that transition in your mindset despite, you know, the external circumstances that would have been hard to, to, to mute that old story? You want me to tell you the truth? Yeah. Okay. The truth is, I believed it because I'm Black. And a lot of African-Americans, all the successful ones that I was aware of, they all came from nothing, including my dad. And when I looked at, you know, the, 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 the athletes and the rappers and the actors and the actresses, I knew that almost like, man, like almost all these folks came from nothing. And remember, I was talking about identity and who I identified with. And because like, you know, you look at yourself in the mirror, then you look at the television and you think that there's a correlation between you two, right? And I'm like, okay, if Michael Jordan came from humble beginnings, then I could come from humble beginnings too. You know, if Denzel Washington, my mom's favorite, came from humble beginnings, then I could come from humble beginnings too, you know? Um, if my lifelong crush, Holly Berry, can come from Amen. That, I can... that makes two of us, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, like that, that's, that's what it was. And, you know, I used to think even, it wasn't even just about the identity. I used to think, who comes from Seattle and makes it, you know, like who comes? But then my mom was very, very good friends with Kenny G. And I thought, well, Kenny G came from Seattle. You know, but I didn't really know of too many other people that made it from Seattle. But then I was like, but you know what? I wonder if, you know, people knew of, you know, anyone making it from the place that these other people came from. So I just had this inherent belief that, you know, it didn't matter where you were from. It really mattered what you believed, because I thought that if I could just believe in myself, then I can reveal my belief to other people through myself. And but, but what is it making was, it? What is sorry to interrupt because it's you keep coming back to this, and I think it's really important to pick up on. Yeah, obviously, success to you is defined as like making it, but like, what is making it? Well, and when is it ever enough? Do you need to be someone famous to have made it, or is it just living a life of meaning? This is the belief. This is the belief. The belief is when you feel like you're invisible, it doesn't matter until you're seen. And the belief is people see success. The belief is when you're in the gutter and, you know, she's one thing that I haven't even really gone into is like being homeless while I was in high school um, as I finished up my senior year. And when you open up a refrigerator and all you see, because you're staying with your friend who is on, whose family is living on public housing, and you don't, you wouldn't dare ask for anything to eat because you don't want to, you know, have the roof taken from over your head. But you get hungry and you open up the refrigerator and all you see is McDonald's ketchup packets in the refrigerator. It's so empty. You literally would think that someone moved out and you're so hungry that all you want to do is just eat one of the McDonald's ketchup packets so you can have some energy. And you think, man, this is hell. This is the mm. bottom. And you realize that only success is going to get you out of this. Only working hard is going to get you out of this. Like, that's why success means so much, I think, to people that identify on a very physical level with me. It means so much because it's the only way out of the hell that you came from, mm -hmm. you know? 
And when you feel like you're invisible, the only way that you can shine in the lights is if you have something to offer. So if you're not gonna act, then you better play ball. If you don't play ball, then you better like kill it in college. Because if you don't, then you're not seen. And worse yet, you're not only invisible, but you're seen as like a plague. Oh man, grab your purse because this African-American is walking by. That's happened to me, you know? Like one time I was in high school and this lady walked in the middle of the street to go around me. I mean, maybe it was because I was sagging my pants, but you know what, hey, I'm <laughs> you know? But <laughs> that was then, I, you know, you couldn't pay me to do it now, especially now that I understand where it originates from. But I mean, long story short, that's where it comes from, Mitch. I mean, mm. it's just because you realize that you wanna have significance and purpose. So I never came from this notion of, you know what, I'm just gonna have a life that is beautiful and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have this well-being persona. And as long as I can make the person next to me happy and then I'm happy, then we can all hold hands and we can be happy together. And then when I die, I was a happy person. Mm. Hell no. Like, that's not how it works. And honestly, that's still not how it works for me. Like, I believe with all my heart that, you know, there's something um, significant called contribution. And I'm committing myself to, 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 to contribute, to, 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 to just, you know, and I think at some points, you know, like, at my own fault, like, this is a part of the reason for my current anxieties. But it's like, no, like I have to work. I have to make something happen because I am very inspired by death. And I think that most people ought to be inspired by death because when you really think about it, the awareness of the fact that your life is temporary is the biggest thing that we could know. It's like, yo, like my life is temporary. I'm not going to be here at some point in existence. So I better make it count right now. And um, yeah. it's something that I believe for me, but I wouldn't prescribe it for other people. Um, I just have this idea and I call it dashing. You have, you look at a tombstone, you have the beginning date, you have the end date and you have the dash in the middle. And that dash in the middle is everything that that person left. It's the contribution, it's the memory. And I want to do something with my dash. I, I don't know how big it's gonna be, how grand it's gonna be, but I believe in something that I heard um, one of my favorite rappers when I was in high school say, his name is Busy Bone. He said, you know what? Shoot for the stars so that at the very least you can end up in the sky. And I just believe in being star bound. And I think that that happens with intentional effort but not because you want people to see you. Let me make that very clear. It's not because I want people to see me. I want other people to see themselves. And I believe the best way to reach that level is to serve. And I wanna serve a very large audience, Mitch. I wanna serve an audience with, with a movement similar to yours to help people understand that they matter. Um, but you wonder like, where does that come from? And uh, that's, that is a very descriptive answer of how, how it happened for me, at least. Yeah, definitely. And it, it is so good that you're using that as oxygen and fuel for your mission and, um, and wanting to serve. And I agree, service is the most fulfilling thing in the world. Um, the only thing is, as someone who uh, struggles with this myself, like, you know, I have to be X in order to be enough. 
it, it, it's a really dangerous equation because X sometimes can be out of reach and unnecessary. You know, my therapist is like, when is it going to be enough? And why aren't you enough right now? Like, like, say, for example, you know, you've mentioned invisible. If I just said to you point blank now, Sean, I see you. I see you. You're incredibly visible. You're a beacon of light, an eloquent storyteller with amazing self-awareness who's already contributed enough. You know, at what point are you going to let that in? You know, at what point is it like, no, I have to make it in order to believe that. I have to make it to be visible. But man, fuck, if making it is having millions of people yelling your name and only then will you feel visible. I don't know if that's the equation, bro. You're visible now. That's that's so good. That's so good. You know, um, and I think that that's something that... Um, that's something that I still, you know, struggle with. I don't yeah. know about like necessarily having, you know, I mean, it, it, it sounds nice, but I want to have millions of people, you know, screaming their names, you know, and understanding mm -hmm. like, Hey, I'm significant. I just don't want, I just don't want there to be another seven-year-old in the kitchen, you know, or another 18 year old at the bridge, you know, or another anything year old feeling invisible, you know, yeah. and, I just, I feel like my real mission is to like, make sure that before I go, that I leave something so that, so that they matter. I don't know if this is going to make it to the, to the cast. I mean, hopefully it does, but I mean, I'm just being 100% real with you. No, likewise, bro. It, and, I, and I'm being real with you <laughs> because like what I learned in this line of business and when you want to help people is that people smell bullshit from a mile away. And the universe smells bullshit from a mile away. And what I mean by that is, you know, when I first started in the mental health space, I was going around doing all these workshops, preaching self-care and slowing down and like all this shit. And I was, I couldn't have been running harder and treating myself worse. And that eventually caught up to me and I burnt out. Um, but what I mean by that is the greatest gift you can do with serving isn't what you say, it's how you act, it's your role modeling. So mm -hmm. if you're going around telling people, if, if your life's mission is to want people to feel like they're significant, but you yourself genuinely don't believe you're significant or won't be until that mission is fulfilled, it's an empty vessel. It's a hypocritical statement. People will only believe you and be intoxicated by you and be inspired by you if you believe it now, if you role model it now. <laughs> that, that hit me. That that hit me. Everything you said just hit me. Like, to be honest with you, this is like that part. If I was reading your book, I would put the book down. I would sit down somewhere and just close my eyes and just be like, whoa. <laughs> what am I doing with now? How am I like validating myself now? Because How are you walking the walk now? How I'm are on, you genuinely I'm showing on. up? I, and, and like, and I'm only saying this because I've walked it in that if you, if you're trying to serve a mission, but you're not living the mission, you will never achieve the mission. If you're trying to help people feel they're significant, but you don't feel significant until X happens, 
it's just not the universe isn't going to reward that energy you know will you say that again if you about your mission statement we say that again if uh if you were trying to uh if your mission is to help people feel significant but you're not going to feel significant until that mission is achieved you won't achieve your mission that that is crazy because it starts and it stops with us as individuals yeah that's so that's so powerful mitch that's so powerful and I'm not trying to preach at you. I'm just trying to share my experience as well, you know? I mean, hopefully you're trying to encourage me because you're just an encouraging guy. You're just being yourself. <laughs> but what you just said just hit me. It's so good. Yeah, man. Oh, man. You got so much potential. And I just don't want you to wait to feel significant because you already are. You just fucking waste time. And fuck, like, and fuck letting anyone else, like, you, someone has already taken so many years from you telling like being the deciding factor if you were significant or not i.e your dad fuck waiting and letting anyone else say whether you are you get to decide it right fucking now (laughs) no one can take that away from you anymore that's it you've already built it and you shared it and just before just while i'm on a roll i'm picking back up on you know you said recently you lost a, a large amount of money and uh straight up that sucks because um losing money is the worst feeling ever plus we have an inbuilt psychology bias where we would way prefer um to not lose money than actually gain money um i'll send you the study after this it's fascinating where they they have proven that we have a a a bias towards um protecting what already exists versus gaining what might not what might come um because it's certain but anyway um so that's why it hurts so much uh but the the interesting reflection when things like that happen and i think where the work lies is whether in that moment you say that sucks or i suck that sucks or i suck Cause they're two very, very, very different things with very different impacts and outcomes down the line. <laughs> that sucks. Super healthy, man. You got to grieve that loss. It does fucking suck. And it's okay to be angry and frustrated and blah, blah, blah. I suck. Not healthy. That's directing it inside. Like you had full control of being accountable. Awesome, man. We love accountability, but being self-sabotaging and, you know, really getting down and beating yourself up, man, that's not going to serve you or anyone, right? Right. That's good. That sucks, not I suck. Yeah. Man, what a philosophy to take everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. right? Totally. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. So you got this, bro. You're already enough. That's for sure. You know what? I love you, brother. I do. You too, man. Um, I've been I've been looking forward to to sitting down and having a conversation with you, and I hope that this friendship continues. Hundred um, you know, capacity allows. But I I really really admire you, and the freaking heart on my sleeve is oh, yeah. It's a cool symbol. Um, I'm so grateful that it it blessed me with its presence, bro. Like hundred percent it's that way around like (laughs) i was like what can work through me i want to serve please work through me and i still remember the moment that i was like that's it 
heart on my sleeve bought the domain that that second and i yeah. was like this is the thing bro and i didn't know what it would look and feel like but it um i'm getting to know it more because that's kind of what happens very weirdly it becomes like a child and you think that the child is just you but then it grows up with its own personality and you're like i only i want to get to know you like what what do you <laughs> right, want to right, be right. The community, it's the community, the community owns Heart on My Sleeve way more than me. I'm, I'm now just being in awe of it, developing its livelihood and its mission. That's so good. That is so good. That is so good. How do you handle that? Like you, it has to be like, you know, I imagine a proud father. It's just like, <laughs> look at you, you know, yeah. but I still got to change your diaper and make sure that the comment section is healthy. I still got to <laughs> make sure, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, it totally. It's exactly like that. And uh, I feel right now, the next six months, my number one goal is to bring it from adolescence into young adulthood. Um, mm. Cause it requires so much attention still. And we're, you know, we're, we're almost getting it to make its own lunch and like get the bus. Um, yeah. But what I'm trying to get to is like, get a, get yourself a part-time job, do a uni degree. <laughs> That's kind of where I need it to be because I don't have enough energy at the moment to, to support it. But part of that is it takes a, it takes a tribe to raise a child. Totally. Right? And totally. I, I have a fucking sick village, man, that, that one, yeah. that one. And you're part of the village now. Like, this is it. This is live, walking the walk, you know? this is what we do. We don't sell toothbrushes. We tell stories and we lead by example and we have Where can people find you or follow you on social yeah. media? Sean X. Michael. I so spell that out. Yep, it's S E A N the letter X and then Michael. And the reason why it's Sean X. Michael is because X is the unknown variable, right? Mm. The, you don't really know like what it means, what it is, but you have to figure it out. And I believe that we all are trying to figure ourselves out. So um, the cool thing that I've been doing is just developing content that really speaks to, um, you know, where we are and helps us reframe our perspective, reframe our pictures, because um, you know, maybe you could even speak to this, but I believe that life is not just the picture, but it's the frame in which we see the picture. 100%. And if we can see things as happening for us rather than happening to us, then I think that we can live a much greater expectation and expression of ourselves. So Sean X. Michael, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of the Heart on My Sleeve family. Thank you for having me, Mitch. All right, everyone. Get off your butts, go follow. That deserves a follow, that conversation. If you took something out of it, Sean X. Michael on social media, go get it done and uh, let's keep this conversation going. There was something that you said earlier um, that I wanted to touch on. And that's just, you know, when we go through the difficult time and we go through the pressure that, you know, um, I was thinking about this analogy um, and I, I guess like maybe if you don't mind, I, I'll just kind of like wrap up with this, right? Sure. Um, my mom, right? Don't tell her, but she's actually like my hero. She, she thinks I don't love her because I'm always busy. And I'm like, mom, I'll call you back. And she's like, you don't care anymore. Uh, but anyways, I remember when she would make cakes 
And she would tell me while the cake was in the oven, she would say, hey, Sean, like oh, the best cakes. I don't know if you've ever heard of 7-Up Cake, brother. Mm-hmm. If you, oh my gosh, if 7-Up were a cake, yes, it can be. Long story mm-hmm. short. So like she'd be making like these cakes and she was making the 7-Up Cake. And she goes, Sean, make sure that you, you know, walk lightly, try not to run around because if you do, it can shake the cake while it's in the oven and then the cake will fall. Mm. And if the cake falls, then we're gonna have to throw it away. We won't be able to decorate it and eat it and all that fun stuff. And I was like, okay, okay. And it dawned on me recently that it's kind of like life. We have this mixture of experiences, things that you know we're born with, um, things that we experience and that we go through and hurts and traumas and, and highs and lows, sunshine and rain, all those things. And it kind of becomes us and our experience. And we go through this pressure. It's all mixed in there. We go through this pressure and it's like the oven. And no matter what, no matter who you are, you're going to go through the heat. You're going to go through the darkness. You're going to go through the fire but it's the people that have the certitude and the fortitude to stand up while they're in it, to stand up and say, look, I'm not gonna fall. I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna have a positive attitude. I'm gonna believe in the best. Those are the people that get decorated and they make it to the display. They're the ones that get enjoyed and, 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 and embraced and, and digested for their contribution. And I believe that um, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We're going to go through hard times. We're going to go through the dark. We're going to go through the oven. But it's knowing that you're not the only person that's gone through this. Keep standing in the midst of it and at least go through it so that you can get to the other side. Because that's the thing. There is another side. And that other side is not what happens with suicide right? That other side is what happens when you realize that your life matters, that you're seen. Everything that you just spoke into me, Mitch, is what I'm holding on to. And I think that, you know, anyone who's listening might be able to be from is knowing that you can, you can stand up, you can make it through. There's another side and you're going to be happy that you went through it because without the oven, there is no cake. Praise God. What a way to end. Beautiful analogy from a beautiful man uh, with a heart of gold and a lot of good work that has already been done and will continue to come. Uh, Mr. Sean, peace, brother. Thank you. Absolutely. Much love. Much love.